We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. Welcome to the Tuesday, March 12th edition of the RotoWire NBA podcast sponsored by FanDuel. My name is Joe Bartle, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Alex Google Me Barutha. We got a lot of NBA. It's a seven game slate tonight. Yep. So we actually have some DFS that we can talk about. We do. Which is fun. But of course, we have to kind of talk about the Lakers. It feels like it's a it's a weekly thing for us in this podcast, and I love, uh, I was going to say a bad word, but I'll say pooping on the Lakers a little bit. That's <laughs> fine with me. I don't want to spend too much time because we have dedicated so much to the podcast in past weeks to the Lakers' struggles. I am reveling in it. You're reveling in it a little bit. Uh, right. But I think we have to start out with the, the biggest news on today's really glorious Packers Day, but the biggest mm. news in the NBA circle, Serge Ibaka and Marquise Chris getting ejected during Monday's contest. Uh, they were both throwing punches. Frankly, it was really Serge Ibaka that threw the punches. He also threw the old neck grab in there, too, the yes. Latrell Sprewell, uh, <laughs> the patented move by Latrell Sprewell. Cleveland won that game. They destroyed the Raptors. 
who are still two and a half games behind the Bucks. Mm-hmm. Just got to put that copyright yeah, in Yeah, there. I got to uh-huh. let them know. Let the people know. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that that was a strange situation. I think the Cavs being in a place where they could win and win comfortably, at that point they had 91-77. So, like, it was – the outcome was in no doubt at that point. To see Serge Baca, who could have a pretty big impact on the Raptors' postseason chances, doing something like that was it, it was interesting, I guess, is really the only word I can think of right now. Yeah, he kind of I – mean, Baca has a history of getting into fights. Um, I remember a fight against Robin Lopez uh, two years ago. I remember where I was when that happened. I was, like, in a bar in Chicago, <laughs> and all of a sudden I see, like, Robin Lopez and, and – uh, Serge Ibaka just like really swinging at each other. And then last year, Ibaka and James Johnson got into it. Um, Ibaka ended up being suspended one game after both of those fights. But at this point, Ibaka's a repeat offender, um, which is, it's almost weird to say because you don't think of Serge Ibaka as like a troublemaker in the league or anything like that. Like that, you never hear anything about, look, oh, Serge Ibaka's a dirty player. Right. Buggy does have a tendency to get in, into these fights for whatever reason. Um, Bobby Marks of ESPN uh, believes that this could be a three to five game suspension. Um, again, honestly, I mean, I wouldn't bet on it being more than five games, but it also wouldn't surprise me because kind of the way the fight went down, you know, the throat grab, the throat grab from, from behind yep. too. And it was um, aggressive pinning him against the, 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 the stanchion. Yeah. 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 So, and um, yeah. And just kind of in a, it just in a, I don't want to say like a random regular season game, but there was really no reason for it. Uh, you know, maybe Marquise Chris said something to Ibaka after he was standing over him, but um whole situation is is just is not good at well, all. Well, that's the thing. I, I'm excited to kind of hear uh, as a guy that just – we I, I like to see this stuff, but we don't want to get to the mouse of the palace kind of deal. Yes. We, don't, we don't want to get to that point, but it is fun to see this a little bit. And, of course, like – Draymond Green's nut kick of LeBron James is going to be one of those like all time. Oh man, what if he hadn't done that fight moments in NBA history? Right. This isn't going to get that level, of course, but I feel like there could be a bit of an impact towards the end of the regular season if Ibaka misses three to five games. I mean, this is the schedule for the Raptors. Um, Lakers probably get a win without Ibaka, I would imagine. I mean, that's that's fair. Pistons. That's an interesting debate in the Eastern Conference right now. Pistons certainly need that. They're one of the hottest teams in the East at the moment. Mm-hmm. That's a situation where, again, I mean, they, they went and acquired um, – oh, boy, I'm blanking on the name already. But they, they went and acquired the other uh, center power forward option for the Raptors. Oh, well, they have Marc Gasol now. Thank you. God. Yeah. Oh, they went and acquired Marc Gasol for a reason. Probably not to protect themselves if Serge Baca won no. on, a, on a fist fight. But he can fill in admirably. I still think the Raptors probably win that game. You have the Knicks, definitely need to win that one. And then back-to-back games against the Thunder. And that's where I think Mm. the Serge Baca uh, suspension, no suspension, could be a bigger deal than we might be letting on. Like, that's two games where the the Raptors need to win at least one. That would have been a perfect spot to have a Baca be playing. Right. And, um, you know, the Thunder are a really big physical team. Um, Be good to have a Baca there. And the Thunder will be playing for a lot, too. I mean, the Thunder want to be as high up in the Western Conference standings as they can because... Things are getting heated out there. I mean, the the Rockets at this point have jumped to three, um, you know, after a slow start to the season. And, um, you know, there, it's just, I mean, a lot uh, is on the line for both of these teams for for those games. So, like you mentioned, yeah, if, if Ibaka sits the, this one out, 
you know, um, I don't think Ibaka, uh, excuse me, I don't think Toronto's in jeopardy of losing the two seed. That would surprise me. Um, oh, yeah, there are six games ahead of the 76ers. Yeah, and I, Indiana could, but that would really surprise me. And, yeah, so Philly would have to – I mean, Philly went on an amazing run last year. They could do it again, but um, it would – yeah. I, th- I think Toronto thinks they have the two seed locked up. So, um, yeah, but the, the, this this is still meaningful for them. Competing for the number one seed is still very much in play. They're, That's a good point. They are only two and a half games behind the Bucks. as much as we love talking about that. And there's been a little bit of uh, weakness, I think, in the Bucks's armor, so to speak, in the sure. last couple of weeks. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the Suns' loss probably now for the rest of the NBA season. They lost <laughs> both the games to the second-worst team in the NBA, and that's fair. The Suns did end up beating the Warriors, though, uh, last week. So we do have that to brag about a little bit from Milwaukee. But no, I, I, there's a chance that they have they can still compete for the number one spot. And that is valuable because whoever has that is going to have the top record in the NBA. So when yes. you get to the NBA Finals, you're going to have that final home game. And that that's a bigger difference, potentially. Right. <laughs> against maybe a Warriors team or Houston or Thunder if they really do sneak into that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, you know, thing I always say is you just got to get to the NBA Finals. You never know what happens. Someone right. twists an ankle. You you could easily get a game seven. I mean, the, theoretically, it's the two best teams in the league. The margins for error are pretty small, even when you're talking about the Warriors, pretty small margin for error. So, yeah, you you do want the number one seed for for that scenario, for sure. Was this Ibaka Marquis Chris fight the worst fight of NBA uh, 2019 or 18, 19 season? Or has there been worse ones? I, I don't, worse being a negative turn, not like worse, like, oh, that was fun. Right. But worse being, ooh, that didn't look good for anybody as far as that fight goes. I don't, I, off the top of my head, I can't really think of one. I feel like there haven't been too many memorable fights this year. The Chris Paul Rondo spitting thing that, was <laughs> was worse, but like in a just a child. It was way. funnier. Yes. Yeah. Be, yeah. Because you had Brandon Ingram throwing like a punch from half court, <laughs> landing on you know Chris Paul uh, who's at the free throw line. So um, yeah, that fight was just it was yeah that fight was intense. Uh, it's funny because I think Floyd Mayweather was there. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, okay. like front row, like really soaking it in. He was like, this is great. Um, yeah, I can't. Other than that, none of them really stick out to me. Yeah, and again, this could have a bigger impact on the NBA season than probably most could have predicted given the repeat history of Serge Ibaka. But you did give me a good segue into our next topic, and that <laughs> is Brandon Ingram. That is the Lakers. Of course, uh, Ingram is going to be out for the rest of the season with a pretty serious – well, I – Illness is probably a better way to say it as opposed to injury. Yeah, it's more of an illness than an injury. Deep vein thrombosis. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. I am not a doctor. You are. uh, Despite the fact that I did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. Okay. Uh, Funny funny to note. Uh, But yeah, so, (laughs) I mean, we just talked last week about what the package that the Lakers could offer for Anthony Davis would look like. And we both disagreed. Uh, I, I still think Jason Tatum would be the better deal. And you made a case that if Brandon Ingram performed exceptionally well in the final couple of weeks of the regular season if the lakers made a push for the playoffs that ingram would look more enticing well you're really really wrong now uh and i feel great saying that despite the fact that this is a very horrible thing for a person that's what ingram is not just a player he's a person to suffer but i feel really good that i'm right uh and i have to kind of discuss that a little bit do you want to counter me being right because you can't here well okay so here here's what i'll say i mean this actually this situation 
we're, we're obviously hoping Ingram is okay, but this situation is very makes the non-trade very interesting. I mean, if you know, it, theoretically, like if the Pelicans had traded for this Lakers package, and then Ingram turns out as Devane Thrombosis, and you know, worst case scenario, his career is in jeopardy. Yeah, the they basically gave away Anthony Davis for like Lonzo Ball and Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart and Josh Hart, but like you know, the the centerpiece of that package is theoretically Ingram. So that that's kind of a could turn into a big what if. Obviously, we still don't know all the details, but you know, I mean. The Ingram Tatum debate, um, I think, his has gotten a lot more even throughout the year because Ingram has played better as the season has gone on, as he's gotten more comfortable around LeBron. You know, during the time LeBron missed games, Ingram kind of you know developed into his own, and it, Tatum hasn't exactly progressed as the season has gone on. He's been very shaky, very up and down. But you know, since the new year, I mean, Ingram has a better true shooting percentage than Tatum, which surprised me. I didn't think that would be the case. Um, you know, Ingram playing six more minutes a game, but 20 points, six rebounds, three and a half assists. Tatum's at 16 points, six rebounds, two assists. So it's like, it's very close right now. I think this is, you know, Tatum is still, I think he's, he's probably a better pure scorer than Ingram. And maybe that's more valuable in some ways. Um, in today's NBA, just the catch and shoot ability. Um, but Ingram still kind of has that. Y- it's not like Tatum's a bad defender, though, and they have no, not, similar no. height. I don't, there isn't a way that you can make this argument that what we see of the two players currently, that Tatum's any, any, he's significantly better than Ingram. Right. What Ingram's potential could be, sure, I, I can, I can understand that, but. There isn't an argument to be made that Tatum is not the better player currently. I think, I mean, I think, yeah, I think Tatum is a better player right now. I don't think he's as, um, I, you know, I don't think he can do as many things with the ball. He's not as dynamic with the ball, but let's oh, say you Ingram end up, can Ingram, Ingram can do a good amount with the ball. I mean, he can, he's great in transition. He can handle the ball a little bit as a point guard. His passing needs to get better. Um, when did we see Ingram showcase that that skill set that he can do things with the ball? Mostly when LeBron is out. Okay. Right. So what happens? I'll stall for you while you're looking at this. How, how many games has Kyrie Irving been out? Um, because that could be the same conversation, right? Like the ball stoppers on the Celtics have ma- majority played this season. LeBron missed almost... Uh, 25% of the NBA season. So we got to see Ingram develop those skills. If Tatum had a whole team to himself, which is what he will have when he goes to New Orleans, and I'm not even assuming that he, he might, he will go to New Orleans. I, I feel like he can develop those same skill sets too. And then that's literally everything that he's better at than Ingram. <laughs> right. I, my concern is just, I don't know. I think I, the, you, for Ingram, the defensive potential is there too that he could be a guy who could get like i want to say youngest potential in defense but like a steal and a block maybe a little bit more of each um but i just don't view tatum as like a you know a guy who is going to be a great playmaker for other guys and you don't necessarily need that like i think it's a team by team basis so i think tatum would be better for the lakers right now than ingram is 
you want more guys like Tatum to surround LeBron than you would Brandon Ingram. But if you threw, I don't even know what a good example is. If Brandon Ingram became the point guard of like the Orlando Magic, I think that could be as effective as Jason Tatum being on the Orlando Magic just okay. because of their team needs. Okay. I, and I'll, I'll, I'll agree with that. But we'll go back to what you were just saying before. I don't want Jason Tatum to be my point guard. I don't want Brandon Ingram to be my point guard, frankly. Like if you're That's if you're acquiring him to be the franchise player, I'm not sure having a six foot ten guy just facilitate the ball is really what you wanted to have him develop into. Just because he can and because he could be better at that than Tatum doesn't mean that's what the skill set requires of the players, you know? Right. Um Yeah, it's kind of an interesting debate. I'm trying to think of a good player comparison for tatum but i mean the the comparison for ingram is always paul george right and paul george isn't a primary ball handler but he's like a 1b you know in in oklahoma city and mm-hmm. i think that's the mold that people would view brandon ingram in is you know he can be the 1b to someone else's 1a as far as like ball handling and playmaking goes um and but at the same yeah i mean it would it would very much surprise me like if Ingram became a better scorer than Tatum. I mean, Tatum could lead the league in scoring at some point in his career. Um, but That's I think a bold statement when James Harden's flopping his way to 18 points a game <laughs> <laughs> for the next 20 years. Yeah. Maybe uh, Tatum should start working out with, uh, <laughs> with James Harden, get those free throws up a little bit. If he starts growing a beard in the off season, we'll know, we'll know it's about to happen that he's dropping 30 a night. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I I'm talking like I'm a James, uh, Jason Tatum truther and I'm, I'm, truthfully not i just think that we know what he's going to be as a player not even what he is now we know what he's going to be as a player and he's going to be a great scorer a guy that can defend two or three positions i think at his prime and somebody that you can count on both in the transition and also to be healthy and at least for a couple of those things we probably can't say the same about brandon ingram and i'm i'm we're talking as if we're assuming he's coming back from this uh illness chris bosh never did and chris bosh was one of the ultimate players, I think, for he really dictated the the Miami Heat's demise as far as that dynasty goes. I hope Ingram comes back healthy. We won't probably know, and that's that's a scary thing for a guy that does have a lot of potential. For as much as I've been knocking him, and we've been spending the last couple podcasts, uh, at least me doing that, I, I I hope he comes back because the NBA is a better a, a better or a better place if a guy like Brandon Ingram can really utilize and achieve the talents and potentially he has. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Golden State, moving on to another Western Conference team uh, that I don't have to talk about negatively as much as the Lakers. Uh, (laughs) Golden State has dropped six of its past 10 games and hasn't captured consecutive victories in almost a month. Is there some doom and gloom feeling in Golden State right now, Alex? Uh, A little bit. I I mean, I don't think people are like – you know, the, the walls aren't falling down here in Golden State. But, um, you know, that clip emerged of of Steve Kerr talking to the coaches in the huddle, just saying you could hear him out the words like, I'm tired of Draymond's, you know, BS. Um, and that was kind of a that was kind of a moment that I think encapsulated, you know, this this kind of down period for the Warriors in which they just really aren't playing up to you know their own standards especially when you consider they have demarcus cousins now um you know the team is is theoretically as dynamic as ever before uh but i just think you know no one's i don't think 
you know, there used to be such an intimidation factor when you played the Warriors, and I just don't think that people are scared of the Warriors anymore. And, you know, you kind of know the game plan and the Warriors. You've scouted them so much. Just because you know that doesn't mean you can stop it, though. And that's why, yeah, they right. might not be scared, but that's because we've we've seen what they can do for the past three years, and it's incredibly difficult to handle. It is. It is. And, I mean, a lot of this might just be the Warriors beating themselves, and that's, that's what a lot of people feel like, because the only way the Warriors lose is when they, like, defeat themselves, essentially, whether it be chemistry issues um i have mostly chemistry issues actually um and i'm sure they'll they'll pull it together but this is it's it's interesting i mean yeah they got they got slaughtered by boston they lost to phoenix um you know those are two games and they just have to win i mean they lost to miami and orlando um they're they're and three against houston you know who they went to seven games against last year so they do seem a little vulnerable I know NFL pretty well. Um, I've done a lot of different podcasts for NFL and a lot of different other media stuff. And I, I feel comfortable saying that what the Patriots always have at the beginning of the season is kind of what I feel about the Warriors right now. Like, they know where they need to be at the end of the year. I mm-hmm. think the Warriors do as well. I'm not worried about regular season wins and losses, and I don't think they are either. Chemistry issues are a concern. And Draymond Green has still one more year left at $18 million. If he were to hit the open market this offseason – he makes more than eighteen million, right? Um, Th- that's a T. And I, I, I looked at that number because I have an on spot record now, and I'm like, I think he does. And I think a team like the Knicks or somebody else would go and sign that. I mean, there's a lot of different money getting moved around where you could potentially have multiple uh, max players, and we've heard that discussed quite a bit, particularly around the NBA trade deadline. But I think there are some concerns. I mean, he's going to be 29 starting next year. It's not it's not necessarily a given that he gets over twenty million. Clay Thompson's a guaranteed that he gets that that right. money. And I could see the Warriors honestly re signing Clay Thompson and then really trying to move Draymond Green and just finding a guy at four who can be a rebounder defender who gets paid three times less and also doesn't have attitude issues. Like that's that's quite possible, especially in this state of the NBA. Yeah, I mean Draymond has not aged particularly well. Um, he's 29 right now for what it's worth. And his three point percentage has declined every year since 2015, 16. So 2015, 16, he shot 39% from three. Then it jumped way down to 31%. Then last year it was 30. This year it's 25% from three. He can't hit a three. Yeah. His field goal percentage is down to 43. Um, he's only a 70% free throw shooter. Um, you know, obviously he's still a good defender, but, it's just you have to wonder what it's it's really hard at this point to separate Draymond Green from the Warriors. Yes. You have to be like, okay, if you put Draymond Green on just any like very neutral team X, like if you put Draymond Green on the Nets or you put Draymond Green on I don't even know who the just, Hawks. The Hawks, just some like, you know, subpar five hundred team. What would his stats look like? What would the team success look like? I'm sure he would lead to team success but when you're paying it when you theoretically are paying him 20 million dollars it's like is he going to lead to more team success than two guys combined for 10 million true are like shooters it's the one thing i'll say about green though and the three-point shooting is particularly alarming i mean that's really what he has to do better and yet he's gotten worse and not just one year but multiple years in his career 
that's a concern. But if you're paying Draymond Green $20 million a year and you're not the Warriors, you're our nondescript team, Magic, Hawks, whatever, yeah. um, you're probably game planning to get Green more involved in the offense, putting him in positions to succeed. And I'm not sure Golden State's really been doing that, right? Like he's at best the fourth or fifth scoring option, even when they have guys on the bench that are in there, like Sean Livingston or something like that. Like Green's still the guy that isn't scoring all that often. If you paid a guy like that that much money, you have to imagine you're game planning to use him in a different offensive way. And that would be my one concession as far as if you're going to be paying him that much money. If he can't shoot the three, though, if he can't really score in the paint, and that's kind of the one area that you also need him to score, why are you paying a defensive stopper $20 million a year? That's that's where the issue comes to play. And I, you're right. I posed the question, and I thought immediately guaranteed, yeah, he's going to get over that much money. But now I... As we keep talking, I feel a little less comfortable saying that. Yeah, it's, I mean, he is the fifth option on the team. If we go by field goal attempts, he is. He takes six shots a game. Six. I don't, I don't, I don't blame him for being disgruntled. I will say that. I don't think he gets enough credit for how Golden State has developed. Like Steph Curry, right. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson is as good a defender, I think, for his position as Draymond Green is. No one really talks about that, but they certainly talk about his shooting. DeMarcus Cousins has entered the fray as another kind of different uh, ego, and I'm not even saying that in a negative way, just a different ego for the team. And Kevin Durant's Kevin Durant. Green really doesn't get a lot of credit for what he does, but he might get a lot of credit by the end of the year for what he hasn't done as far as uh, destroying the team chemistry. Yeah, I. It's it's a really tough call with Draymond, yeah, because you're seeing his decline on the court while also the reports keep coming out of him, um, you know, uh, not being amazing for for team chemistry and and an upcoming free agent and Durant and him got in a fight and it's like, well, if the organization had to choose, you know, it would clearly be, um, it would clearly be Durant. Sure. And so, and not that that should surprise even Draymond Green, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely interested in, in his free agency. Well, and you juxtapose that with the Rockets who are 31 and 11 back to like middle of December. I mean, that that's, They've won three-fourths of their games, and now are in third place. You talked about that. They're really getting close to the Nuggets as far as a second place. And frankly, they could even push for a first-place spot in the Western Conference if the Warriors continue to lose. Again, Warriors, the last six of the ten games, they've lost. So it's not out of the question that Houston does get into position for the number one seed. I still feel like at the end of the day, if those two teams are facing off in the Western Conference Finals, they maybe get two games. They maybe get two games. I feel like it's going to be easier to game plan for stopping Harden, as hard as that has been for every other team in the NBA this season. It's going to be easier to stop James Harden than it would be to stop Steph Curry, Durant, and DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Um, If Cousins wasn't on this team, would you feel more comfortable saying a Western team, Rockets, Thunder, whoever else, could unseat the Warriors? I think so. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I think it would be a lot more plausible to me. Because they, well, I mean, they didn't really give up anything to get to Marcus Cousins. They no. just have him now. And if he plays like garbage, you just sit him and try to throw Draymond Green and Jonas Jarebko in there. Like, I don't, whatever situation you want to use because... Bogut. You get to use Bogut. Bogut. <laughs> I, I would imagine uh, DeMarcus Cousins is not coming back next year, and I think everyone knows that. And so I don't think the Warriors are worried, like, well, if we sit DeMarcus Cousins in this playoff series, he's going to get pissed and, like, not, <clears throat> you know we're not gonna be able to resign them next year i don't think i don't think that's on their minds i think they're just trying to win a championship and 
whatever tr- contributions he can give them is just literally extra. Right. And that's, that's where it's like, okay, so he matches up against Clint Capella. I, Clint's, a, he's been impressive. Like nobody talks about him as far as mm-hmm. most improved player of the year, but I feel like he has to be in that conversation, especially if the Rockets continue to put themselves in the Western conference playoff race for the number one seed. That's, Capella is as good. I, I, whatever game that was, uh, there was things that he was doing in the pick and rolls that I were I was amazed by, and that's really where his strong suit is. But but he's developed an outside offensive game uh, in that eight to twelve foot range that not a lot of big men still have right now. And I, I think that's again okay. So Cousins Capella, that might be a wash. Cousins does more three point wise. It's I think it's a matter of the fact that Capella's an elite pick and roll roller and demarcus cousins is a unelite defender at that in that i mean teams target to put him in the pick and right. roll and so houston's going to do that my guess would be if you got that playoff series that um that's where green slides on to right yes i you would put demarcus cousins on probably pj tucker and just kind of let that play out um that would be my guess because DeMarcus Cousins would just basically stay home on the three-point line. I'm sure P.J. Tucker try like back cuts and stuff. They'd right. probably switch. The, the The Rockets have all sorts of ways to get the switches they want on Harden and whoever else. But, at, I mean, that's it's a very interesting playoff series. And I think each team has you know weaknesses that the other can exploit. And there's a reason it went to seven games last year. I mean, there really is. Yeah. And, you know, we, we talked about the Thunder last week. That has a Paul George, Russell Westbrook feel where they, if they carry that team, they could maybe make a run. But it really is dependent on those two players. I don't feel that way for Houston. Obviously, James Harden has to do James Harden things. But they have other players around them that could win a, win a game or two. And you can't necessarily game plan or predict it'll happen. Whereas you have to predict Russell Westbrook and Paul George would make something happen for the Thunder. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the best and worst performances from Monday's games. How many were there even on Monday? We have seven on Tuesday, which would make me think Monday's slate was probably a little bit smaller. But I guess uh, my lack of preparation and love of Packers free agency tells me there wasn't a lot. Six games. Six games. Okay. There you go. All right. So six games Monday. Uh, The top three performances, Kemba Walker, the guy that stayed in Charlotte. Uh, I I don't know if he'll stay in Charlotte during the offseason, though. Uh, I think, I mean, all indications that he wants to be there and the Hornets are very prepared to give him a crazy max deal. So Jordan's going to pay, he's going to pay Kemba whatever he wants. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Here's, here's an empty check. Go ahead and write how much you want. Kemba's a great player. Blank check. Gosh. But at the same time, you know, their, their team situation is really bad by the time his, like if you sign Kemba Walker to that max deal. By the time that your team, by the time you shed the other bad contracts on your team, Kemba Walker's like at the back end of his prime. Right. So we're, we're yeah. going to get to uh, the teams that I'm a little concerned about. I mean, it, Western or Eastern Conference, five through eight seeds, which, which one you think is going to be best suited to upset a higher seed? Mm. As a Bucks fan, I'm worried a little bit about the Hornets because of Kemba Walker. If they didn't have Kemba, I don't know if I would be as concerned, but uh 40 points 14 of 20 from the field six of six from three and six of seven from the free throw line he had 10 rebounds seven assists and one block in 40 minutes yeah that's a guy that he can dictate the outcome of a game um i don't think he ended up they didn't win against the rockets no they lost yeah so like great cool he didn't dictate that outcome though uh lou williams versus celtics 34 points 14 of 20 from the field two of six from three four four from free throw five assists four rebounds that was in just 23 minutes 
was. He annihilated the Celtics. Points. 34 points in 23 minutes. Yeah. Lou Williams is the man. Um, all perennial six man of the year candidate. Uh, obviously, he actually just broke the record right. for most yeah. uh, points as a bench player in NBA history. So, um, and weirdly has a good history against the Celtics. Um, this, this game, just another product of that. My wife does a lot of uh, funny things when I talk about sports, but she always brings up stupid, rid- ridiculous, unnecessary stats. Mm. The leader of bench scoring feels like one of those unnecessary stats that people keep track of. Yeah. What, what would you say about that? Uh, it is a little arbitrary because <laughs> Lou Williams also plays a lot of minutes. Like he should, Lou Williams is a starter. Like he just happens to come off the bench. Yeah. Interesting. All right, cool. Thanks, Lou Williams, for uh, having a record that probably shouldn't be in the NBA, just based off of weird records. Bradley Beal is the other top performer, 27 points, 9 of 20 from the field, only 3 of 9 from 3 points, but 6 of 8 from free throws. He had 9 assists, 9 rebounds, 4 steals against the Kings. That was your top three performances. Your bottom three, though, again, we're trying to classify it as players that have played over 24 minutes in a game. Garrett Temple, in that same contest against the Celtics, two points, just two 0-4 from the field, 2-4 from free throws, two assists, one rebound, one steal, one turnover, and three fouls. We had Luke Kennard, uh, the ever-immortal first-round pick, also had two points, one of seven from field goal, two rebounds, one assist, one steal in 25 minutes. I remember Jay Billis just raving about what Kennard <laughs> could be. And I really liked Billis as an analyst um, when they bring him on for the NBA draft. Like I normally am like, oh, yeah, Billis is on him. I, I felt pretty confident having watched Kennard in college that uh, – that was not going to be the type of player that <laughs> that Billis was referring to. No, um, you know, Kennard, like he's he is better this year. Um, I will say that, but you know, because he prior to his past two games, he was on a stretch where he was averaging fifteen points a game on like fifty percent from three. Like he got hot for for about a month, um, but yeah, I think he's regressing regressing to the mean a little bit here. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of what your best case scenario would be from Kennard. And he was a top 15 pick or a little bit later in that, right around there. So you weren't expecting a lot from him when he was drafted. But at the same time, a three-point specialist, maybe a little more athletic three and D, that's kind of what you were looking for out of him. And it, it never felt like there was any higher potential. Like the the floor was pretty high for a player of his drafted skill set, but there was not a lot of ceiling after that. He was the twelfth pick. Yeah, um, 12th. there you go. He, I mean, he's six five, so I think your hope is like he can be a secondary, maybe third ball handler, shooting guard. You know, shoot forty percent from three, um, maybe get three assists a game, something like that. Like play solid defense, but um, yeah, I mean, I he still has upside. He's only twenty two, but it's I mean the chances of him being an all star like extremely oh my God. low it's so low yeah I'll, I'll put whatever money you want to bet <laughs> uh terrence ferguson was the other bottom three performer frankly i'm surprised terrence ferguson isn't on this list more often he had five points two of five from the field one of four from three pointers two rebounds two turnovers um i don't know if there's really a lot to say about alex ferguson and his type of play frankly no i mean he's it is surprising is more surprising that he's not uh on this list often but um you know the one of four from three um when you play that many minutes it it gets weighted heavier especially when you also commit two turnovers like your usage rate is so low but yet you somehow cough the ball up twice i think that really hurts your it doesn't really discuss the defensive impact of these it doesn't and that's that's one of the issues i have with it um but it is an interesting but this is a fantasy podcast yes you're right and we'll get to the fantasy aspect we'll get there i just want to talk about the five to eight seeds though because it was it was an interesting question i had thought of okay 
Celtics, Nets, Pistons, Heat. Those are your five through eight right now in the Eastern Conference. Western Conference, we have the Trailblazers, Clippers, Spurs, Jazz. And the Jazz seem pretty set at that eight spot. The Kings are four games back. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen as far as trying to move up to that position. So of those eight teams, which one do you feel more comfortable upsetting or winning against the higher-ranked one? I'm going to almost toss out the Celtics. I don't think that counts because they're they're so close to the four seed that it feels like that one's almost a formality. Yes. Um, You know, I... We we had a roundtable uh, article that Nick Whalen puts together. Actually, uh, he asked us to have a bold prediction. Mine was that the Jazz will go up to the three seed by the end of the year um, because they have one of the. It's really simple. They have one of the easiest schedules in the league. I think they played New York twice, um, amongst other really bad tanking teams. So I think I think I would be um, I'd be going back on my word if I didn't pick the Jazz here um, to be the team that um could upset now i wouldn't pick them to upset the warriors but could they upset the nuggets i think so um they match up pretty well against the nuggets i mean gobert against Jokic, that's you know it's i would still favor Jokic there but gobert is pretty good at, at you know giving Jokic trouble and you have donovan mitchell um i don't really trust you know too many guys on the uh on the nuggets to guard him effectively though he's had struggles of his own that would be an interesting series. So I think you, I mean, the Spurs are always in contention. You know, it's hard to call the four or five an upset. So I'm going to stick with the jazz. Yeah. I, I would have went with the jazz too. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think they ended. <clears throat> they stay at eight. I could see the Spurs falling down and having to play the warriors at eight. If that gets there, but you're right. The jazz are one of the better teams in the NBA. And it really was a slow start to the beginning, the beginning of the season, which has resulted where they are now, but we're kind mm-hmm. of starting to see them get hot. And I, I feel comfortable saying that, um, that the Jazz probably are my most comfortable. I said comfortable twice, but whatever. I'm really comfortable with the Jazz winning their playoff series potentially against one of those teams. I'll go with a different Eastern Conference team. Let's talk about the Pistons a little bit. Eight sure. and two in their last ten games. I know Shannon's going to love to hear this portion of the podcast. <laughs> I feel okay if I'm the Pistons going against maybe the Raptors. You know, like. Right now, that's who they're slotted slotted against, the two-versus-seven seed. There's a chance the Pistons move to the sixth spot. I actually feel more comfortable with the Pistons beating the Raptors than I would the 76ers, who are currently the number three seed in the Eastern Conference. I don't know. Like I I could see a scenario where the Pistons push it to seven games. I really could. Um, A lot of it depends on what Blake Griffin can do. But I I feel all right as far as matchups go against the Raptors. Yeah, I think... um... You know, they match up the the matchup is is pretty interesting. Um, you know, you have like Drummond against Ibaka and Gasol. Um, and you know, I'm Blake would be hard to stop, I think, for the for the Raptors. I assume you put Kawhi Leonard on him, but Kawhi Leonard's a little small to guard yeah. Blake Griffin. Uh and you know, my really my concern for Detroit is their role players are just not consistent at all i mean i just worry that you know reggie jackson luke Kennard, like wayne ellington those guys would go like a combined one of 15 from three one game and that they would kind of crumble under the pressure of the playoffs like drummond drummond really doesn't have much playoff experience blake does blake has a ton of playoff experience um i think jackson could take advantage of lowry that that's the other match but i feel comfortable with if i'm the pistons yeah the role players are tough 
Raptors sneakily don't have that great of guard role players, though. Right? Like we know their we know their front court is fine, but that's actually kind of an area where the Pistons are solid enough too. Thon Maker can't ignore Thon Maker. Right. That's true. Uh, he could swing that. a playoff game. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Um, yeah, I think if I was the Raptors, I'd put Danny Green on Reggie Jackson, um, and then throw like Kyle Lowry and like Wayne Ellington. Yeah. Or, it would whoever's. make more sense yeah but um i it would be that might be the it might be the nba tv series uh that kind of gets just like relegated to you know if you're an nba fan you'll watch this but otherwise well, we're not putting it on in. national I guess tv I'm an NBA fan, let's <laughs> do this all right well you discuss it we are a fantasy podcast so we'll get to more of the dfs angle for tuesday's seven game slate first a word from FanDuel fantasy basketball fans the nba regular season is nearing its end but that doesn't mean your fantasy basketball season is coming to a close FanDuel is offering the most exciting ways to play fantasy basketball no matter what you're looking for. FanDuel is something for everyone. Tons of different contests and formats to choose from starting at just 25 cents. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and enjoy watching your results in real life, in real time. Frankly, I've been loving the single game entries. That's been my go-to, my bread and butter. Certainly it was during the tail end of the NFL season, but really has been something I've been focusing on quite a bit for the NBA season too. Yeah, the single game entries are fantastic. Um, you know, that way, you know, you're playing against other people who only have one lineup in. Um, but you know, for me, um, I do like playing the, even the smaller slate sometime in the other, the other night, I can't remember exactly what day of the week it was, but it was Milwaukee versus Indiana and, uh, Portland versus Oklahoma city. And I just, you know, normally I don't pick Damian Lillard. Normally I don't pick miles Turner, but I did that night. Um, Damian Lillard went for 77 fantasy points. Miles Turner went for 57. So, um definitely you know when when you make a right pick like that on a small slate and are able to win some money it definitely feels great i love the small slates too and i i probably shouldn't target them like i should be better at dfs where i like i'm i'm too good for that and maybe maybe i shouldn't be too good for making money but that's what it feels like it is where <laughs> you're not you're not great until you win an eight game or 10 game or 12 game slate but yes the two game slates the three game the four games are definitely my bread and butter as well and frankly i'm happy i don't have to play against you during those because uh you know I would like to win actually some money and we can always win against bragging rights or something like that if we played against one another, but to take advantage of FanDuel's special offer for new years, you can also sign up at fanduel.com slash RW. And with that offer, and hopefully when you're not playing against Alex or I in DFS, you'll get a free six month RotoWire subscription with your first deposit on FanDuel. You'll get six months access to all the tools and sports on rotowire.com, including DFS lineup, uh, weekly rankings, premium articles, full season draft software, and much more. You just visit fanduel.com slash RW and even get some uh, MLB draft software on top of that too. Just void where prohibited and uh, new users apply. Let's go ahead and get to the uh, Fanduel perfect lineup from yesterday's slate, six games. We had Kemba Walker and Colin Sexton as the two point guards. Walker was at 8,800 and Sexton was 5,400. Really, for 388 points, that was the perfect lineup. That's a little bit lower end as far as I've seen for some of these perfect lineups, especially with the six-game slate. Uh, shooting guard Brad Beal, Jalen Brown, 10800 for Brad Beal and Jalen Brown at 4600 We had Royce O'Neal. There's your good old $3,500 play. He had 32 Fandle points, uh, and he played 40 minutes. I mean, that's kind of why you target those guys, those minimum price guys who can play a ton of minutes. We had uh, Bobby Portis and uh, Kenneth Fareed as your two power forwards, 65 and 5,500 respectively, and Gobert, who we were just talking about for the Jazz, at 9,500. Who was the biggest surprise from that from you? Biggest surprise? Um, maybe, I mean, maybe Kenneth Fareed. I just, I'm, you know, 
I don't know. There's a lot of surprise. I mean, Colin Sexton, I've never assumed anymore that, that Colin was, Sexton's going for 40. Yep. Um, I also assume that a lot of people ignored Gobert against Steven Adams and just thought, hey, you know what? I, I think Steven Adams is a – I don't think Gobert's getting his. Um, but there is something to be said about, like, you know, a lot of people kind of ignore – It's you do need, like, some 9,500 guys in your lineup that you're just pretty confident are going to get you 40 fantasy points. Like, you just have to have a high floor to some extent. And so um, you shouldn't ignore guys who are in what might be a subpar matchup. But if, if you still think Gobert can get you 40 fantasy points, like – it's not a bad idea to put him in your lineup. Beal nearly getting a triple-double is a, a pretty big thing. I mean, he had, again, t- uh, 27 points, 9 assists, 9 rebounds, 4 steals. Makes a big deal when you have a 10800 price tag. But I was most surprised by Colin Sexton, too. Like, that, I, I mean, against the Raptors, too. Against the Raptors, no one would you know? have. Yeah. Against the I, I don't know. We don't have the ownership rate um, on this particular part of the Rotowire site, but I would be willing to guess that... Uh, at least in some of those bigger tournaments, he was less than five. I was going to say single only. digits for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was, you're, you're all, if you would have picked him, your reasoning would have been, well, the Raptors are blowing out the Cavs and Colin Sexton's going to play against Jeremy <laughs> Lin all the rest of the night or whoever like is, you know, the backup. So um, it's kind of a reverse game script, which can happen. Yeah. Or if you're really going to the contrarian route, you just are assuming nobody else is going on the Sexton play and you're hoping for something exactly like that. Uh, I wouldn't feel too confident relying on that strategy moving forward, but hey, no, not it worked always. out on Monday. The highest price of available players for Tuesday slate, we have Giannis at 12000 against the Pelicans, Carl Anthony Towns 11700 He is questionable, though, with a knee injury against the Nuggets, but he is the second highest priced player. And then LeBron James, a.k.a. rest mode against the Bulls at 11700 So two of the three highest priced players potentially could not even be playing on Tuesday's seven-game slate. Yeah, I mean, I assume LeBron's playing, but I just want to put a jab at him for saying he's going playoff mode, and now he's in, like, load management mode. Um, you wouldn't feel comfortable using him, especially against the Bulls, right? He's actually put up, like, 50 fantasy points in each of the past two games, okay. despite playing, you know, 31 and I think, 28 minutes. I'm not going to use him, but I think people— Is that the tournament play? It's— That is a tournament play. That is the tournament play. But yeah. I'm just saying that, not A, is it the tournament play? No, because I don't think his upside is any high. I think his upside is his price. Like the price you're getting him at, you're hoping that he like hits value. Um, which like, yeah, you. I mean, if you if LeBron gets you 57 fantasy points, like that's great. But I just don't think he his ceiling is um, obviously particularly high when he's playing 30 minutes a game. No, and and you can't really envision a scenario where he plays more than 30 minutes against the Bulls of all teams, right? Nah, I mean, the Lakers should be trying to lose at this point. So. And they have been. They have been. They, they have <laughs> been. They did a great job. Of course, Brandon Ingram's unfortunate injury has him out for the season. Alonzo Ball is also out for the rest of the season. So we get to see some of the more unique names for the Lakers kind of come to the full. I saw Andre, Wagner. Uh, Andre Ingram also got called up to the immortal Andre Ingram. We just talked about two weeks ago his his role with the Lakers last year. And look at, lo and behold, we get to see him once more. I, we not, I Listen, it's great for Andre Ingram. I just – it. It doesn't need to happen. I bet you the guys that write the RotoWire notes for Andre Ingram pro- probably really love doing that one. We do. Yes. We, yes. It's our favorite <laughs> part of the job. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the highest and lowest over-unders for Tuesday's slate. We have the Bucks pelicans as the highest uh, priced, well, highest attempted scoring game. So 236 points 
236 and a half. Sorry, I don't want to shortchange the Pelicans Bucks. Right. Both teams are ranked in the top six in pace, so that makes sense. Lowest one, Knicks and Pacers at 210. Uh, Cavs and 76ers, it's a 14-point spread for the 76ers. Of course, the Cavs and the team that just beat the Raptors do have the worst defense in the league, so take that what you will. I think on the second game of back-to-back, I feel a little bit more comfortable relying on 76er players in this scenario, but there could be the age-old example of Colin Sexton just going off. You never know. Or the 76ers taking advantage of the Cavs, and then Sexton plays against backups for the 76ers. Right, this is a, it's a tough game to read. I don't think I've I don't think I have much of this game in my lineup. So um, yeah, I think I think a lot of people will kind of avoid it. Well, a bit of foreshadowing. Uh, I was too enamored with the Packers free agency signing, so I wasn't able to put together a FanDuel lineup. Alex, however, was. We'll get to his lineup in just a little bit. I want to first talk about the this guy or that guy segment and the power forward and power forward position in particular. Last week we had talked about Tobias Harris. He was kind of one of my guarantees in my lineup, and that lineup did fairly well except for at least two players weren't able to play and i didn't change it in time so oopsies on my part however tobias harris was one of the better guys and i think he scored over 50 that night i feel pretty good about tobias harris against the Cavs, especially a Cavs team coming off a back-to-back i feel i'll go that direction at 7400 as opposed to anybody else but what about you yeah, I think I think bang for your buck, you know, a guy that you're really confident gets you 30, 35 fantasy points. Um, it's hard to find it's hard to find any power forward that I have more confidence in just to get value uh, for the money than than Tobias Harris. And yeah, I mean, against Cleveland, you do run a little bit of a risk of a blowout, but at the same time, I mean, Tobias Harris could get. 35 fantasy points in like 28 minutes right well and the guys that would go out first would be Embiid and maybe ben simmons for i think you would keep harris and butler probably in hell you'd take butler out too but you'd keep harrison towards close to the bitter end i imagine right yeah i think so and butler butler's out for rest actually there you go so usage i feel even better about that now usage should funnel more towards tobias harris and uh, some other guys on that team you did this intentionally for the centers i don't blame you we have the brooke lopez against the pelicans at 6100 or the other lopez brother robin at 5500 against the lakers which of the two lopez guys do you feel more comfortable with i'm still on the robin lopez train um he i do too in this in this instance i feel good about but i'll let you explain more it really just comes down to his price not really adjusting for his recent play. I mean, he, his past two games have been subpar, but those have both been against Detroit, and I think that's a really tough matchup for Robin Lopez. Um, he's in more of a cakewalk matchup today against the Lakers. Um, and, you know, before before these two games against Detroit, Robin Lopez went for 30 fantasy points, then 43, then 31, then 37 um and so at 5500 you're like you're almost guaranteed value unless he has another you know obviously unless he has another poor game i'm just not really expecting that like i i figure a bounce back game is in store and you know brooke could have a good game against the pelicans but i think the chances of him hitting value are lower i would agree i guess lopez to me seems like the safest of the cheaper options at center for tonight's slate like there isn't really Unless you wanted to go up higher, and you could, especially in a tournament lineup, it might make sense to go with one of the few centers that are available. I feel like if you're not going to go that, you almost have to go down to Robin Lopez. So there could be an issue of ownage rate, potentially, where you're seeing maybe 25 30% even in tournaments, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess if, if you want to avoid some of the ownership, you probably could just pivot to Brooke Lopez. Because I assume everyone's on Robin. So, you know, 
it's gonna, obviously going to cost you more money. But if you're trying to, like we mentioned, avoid the ownership in GPPs, maybe Brooke is the guy. At small four, we have Otto Porter at 7,500 Gallinari against seven, or Trailblazer at 7,300. Porter, again, feels like an obvious play. And frankly, I think my lamp's going to be centered around the Lakers and Bulls matchup because there are so many valuable options. And there is always the possibility that LeBron rests or doesn't play very much. And then Porter's matchup becomes even easier. So to me, he feels like the better play of the two LA potential matchup forwards, right? Right. And, you know, we've seen Porter go for 40 fantasy points, um, you know, within the past two weeks, uh, I think three times. He's had a couple like 20-ish. I mean, you risk like the 28, you know, fantasy point outing from him when his shot's not hitting or where he doesn't get steals. But, um, you know, Gallinari's more of a cash play at this point. I mean, the last time he didn't hit 30 fantasy points was the 25th of February. Uh, But his minutes have kind of fallen off a little bit since the All-Star break. I mean, just the last few games here, 27, 33, 28, 23, 29, 30. He's not really playing the 35 minutes a game anymore. Um, If you're going for upside, I think Porter's the way to go. I'll admit I'm intrigued by your lineup. Sometimes I'm not always a fan of your under 9,000 plays and spreading it all out on the cheaper but higher upside players. This is different, though. This is an interesting lineup for me. It starts up with Jeff T. We got point guard for Alex's lineup at 6,600. Brandon Knight, who we'll get to in a little bit, 3,500 is obviously your lowest priced player. But you do have DeMar DeRozan, another 8,900 guy. Uh, you have CJ McCollum at 7,600. Otto Porter, we talked about, 7,500. Marcus Aldridge, 8,900 is your second highest priced guy and tied with DeMar DeRozan. So two Spurs against the Mavericks. Tobias Harris, we discussed as well, 7,400. And Robin Lopez, your other center, too. So we'll go back first to Brandon Knight. Why that direction for one of the cheaper plays? He, I mean, it just comes down to, like, he's been playing well lately, um, which is usually the case for, you know, when I'm looking for cheap guys, if they're getting minutes and they're playing well, that's enough for me. Over the past two games, um, he's averaging about 24 minutes. Uh, He has gone for 28.7 fantasy points and 29.4 fantasy points. So find me a hotter player than that for 3500 i don't think it's possible um like it could very much you know come back to bite me but you know this is going to be a fast-paced game um and brandon knight should get those it feels like a situation where brandon knight should just get those 25 minutes no matter what the scenario is so um i think i think he's a play that it's it's really hard to avoid brandon knight in my opinion do you feel comfortable like you have to use him even in tournaments if you're under the idea that he is going to be used by almost everybody? I mean, I looked I, I looked for other 3,500 options that I thought had, you know, 30, you know, upside of 30 fantasy points, and I just, I, I couldn't really find one. I mean, you, you know, you, you have some guys who you know could go for 30 fantasy points, but haven't shown it in a while. I'm just really comfortable in the fact that Brandon Knight has shown it lately. Um, you know, you're talking about guys like um, one person that stands out, being Contavious Caldwell Pope, like I'm sure Contavious <clears throat> Caldwell Pope could get me 30 fantasy points, but like, when's the last time you know that that you felt confident about that right. being the case? Um, I just feel the strongest about Brandon Knight in this scenario. Well, and how come paying up for the two Spurs guys? I, I understand having one, but it almost feels like this is a diversity aspect where you would only want to have one as opposed to both. Normally, I don't do this. Um, I'm actually, I, I I'm a fan of playing Demar Derozan because I mean his upside is as good as any. You mid to upper tier guy, you can go for 50, 55 Absolutely. fantasy points. <clears throat> it's kind of surprising he's not higher. It's probably um, his price isn't higher, but that's probably just because 
the inconsistency is there. But, um, you know, I just don't think that either of these guys are, are going to give a lot of play, and that's part of it because this matchup is probably going to be one of their slower-paced matchups. And it's an excuse for me to kind of, you know, divert from what I normally do, try to go against the grain a little bit. But LaMarcus Aldridge has been playing really well lately, um, over 40 fantasy points uh, in five of his past six games. That's about value. Um, and I think he's in a spot to take advantage of kind of it's a, a pretty weak front line right now for for Dallas. I mean, they got rid of DeAndre. So it's it's a lot of Dwight Powell. Um Maxi Kleba still kind of plays Salah Mejri. Like I just don't really trust those guys to guard, um, to guard Aldridge. And I don't really trust many of the wings to guard DeRozan. So, you know, the chances of them both going, the having like fifty fantasy point games are relatively low. But I still like, I feel pretty good about it overall. Who are your three locks from this lineup? Like, if you were to make a couple different iterations, who would you most likely be carrying over into each one? Brandon Knight that that's a lock um i think tobias harris just for the high floor um and i think it's somewhere between i mean i kind of want to say it's between iowa porter and robin lopez i'm just going to lean lopez if i had to pick one just because i think the value you're almost guaranteed value on that your ceiling obviously isn't very high but your floor is super high your floor is almost five times value which is insane so um brandon knight um, Tobias Harris, Robin Lopez are my three locks. Okay. All right. So Brandon Knight, 3,500 against the 76ers. We have Robin Lopez against the Lakers at 5,500. Tobias Harris against the Cavs. Again, on the back-to-back after they just beat the Raptors at 7,400. Well, that does it for us on the Tuesday NBA podcast. I think it's a little bit more like an NBA, not NBA DFS. But hey, we got to the DFS part at the end. We'll talk uh, hopefully more Lakers. Probably not. I'll really try to refrain from talking about the Lakers next podcast, but I can't promise anything. We'll talk more next Tuesday. Uh, That does it for us, and best of luck to your lineups.
Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.